Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies, and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servants your promise, that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Those are verses um, 33 to 40 of Psalm 119, verses 25 to 48 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, October the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are uh, continuing our look at the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter 7, verses 4 to 14 in Luke's Gospel. We are in chapter 10, verses 17 to 24, and then in the book of the Revelation, we are in chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. So remember, Ecclesiasticus is like Proverbs, so it's it's that similarity um, between the two. The, The only difference is Proverbs is actually in the canon of Scripture, while Ecclesiasticus is outside the canon, but it's a book that the church has since the beginning, pretty much, said we think there's something valuable here, um, and so we don't treat it as the Word of God, but it's, it's, it's sort of you know, just one tick below that. <clears throat> Do not seek from the Lord high office or the seat of honor from the king. Um, d- don't, don't sort of look for too much. D- don't overstep. You know, be humble, I think, is the bottom line. It, it is, you know, it's one of the things that, that has... Um, made me laugh forever and ever and ever, is is that um, every time there's a new president elected, the other side comes out and trots out this whole thing that says this person is a narcissist. And then they provide all the proofs for that person to be a narcissist. doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat, whichever it is, the other side calls them that. Well, the reality is you can't possibly think that you could be president of the United States without being a narcissist. Anybody who runs for that office is de facto a narcissist. So anyway, don't seek from the Lord high office or the seat of honor from the king. You know, some of these things really are, it's, it's to, to you think that any human being could be the president of the United States or any of those things and, and know everything they need to know to be able to do the job is, is a pretty silly idea, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I'm not sure that that even such a thing should exist, to be perfectly honest. Things are much more on a local scale. It's not scalable to go from a job to being the president of the United States. It's not scalable to go from um, being a, a real estate developer to that or from being a senator to that, whatever it is. It's not scalable. It's just not the way it works. So it's absolutely ridiculous, and that's exactly what this is pointing to. Do not assert your righteousness before the Lord. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it might sound more like, well, Lord, I do these things, and, and these other people don't. And so I'm better than them at some level. You wouldn't say it quite that way, but I'll bet you, you, like me, have um, cited sort of your um, work before the Lord when you ask something from him. Do not seek to become a judge, or you may be able to ro- unable to root out injustice. In other words, it's a diff- these are difficult things, and they're really too difficult and too high for human beings to be part. To be honest with you, it's the reason that that 
Solomon knew that the first thing he needed, if he was going to do that job well of being king, then the first thing he needed was wisdom from the Lord. And so that's the reason that, that he showed his wisdom by asking for wisdom. And he showed his humility at the same time because he didn't pretend that he knew what he needed to know. And it's the same with the judge. You know, you can make mistakes. You know, we, we do wrongful prosecution. We do. People have certainly been uh, incarcerated and, and falsely so. <clears throat> you may be partial to the powerful and so mar your integrity. Commit no offense against the public and do not disagree. Do not disgrace yourself among the people. Don't commit a sin twice. Don't persevere in a sin. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday, that just because there didn't seem to be any punishment for that sin doesn't mean you, quote, got away with it. So it says even this, don't commit a sin twice, not even for one where you go unpunished. There's a price to pay for sin, whether you see it or not, and, and whether it affects you or not. Because ultimately, my sin can affect somebody else adversely as well. Don't say, he will consider the great number of my gifts, and when I make an offering to the Most High, he will accept it. In other words, don't think that just because you give God a lot of money means that you can do whatever you like. It means that your sins are are less because you, well, do a lot for him. Because he doesn't need you to do anything for him. Don't grow weary when you pray. Do not neglect to give alms. Now, this weariness when you pray, I, I had a friend who years ago that his wife had had a fall and, and she had an entrapped nerve in in her cossacks. And I'm, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to describe that. If you want to know where that is, you look it up yourself. But anyway, whenever she sat down, she was in extraordinary pain and it went on and on and on and on and on. She went to different kinds of doctors and went through all kinds of stuff trying to get that thing healed and get the nerve unentrapped. And she did lots of procedures and all that kind of stuff. And we were talking one day and he said, you know, how many times can I say, Lord, heal Nancy, Lord, please heal Nancy, Lord, please heal Nancy today. And so you understand that. And what, what this is saying though, is don't grow weary when you pray, continue to persevere in prayer and don't neglect to give alms. Don't ridicule a person who is embittered in spirit. If somebody's going through hell, don't make it worse. For there's one who humbles and exalts. So don't, you know, don't lord it over somebody who's going through a different time when you're not because, well, the shoe may be on the other foot sooner than you think. Do not devise a lie against your brother or do the same to a friend. Refuse to utter any lie, for it's a habit that results in no good. Do not babble in the assembly of the elders and do not repeat yourself when you pray. And, and Jesus said that very same thing, you know, that, that they pile up their prayers and they repeat themselves over and over. And he says not to do those very things. And so these are just, you know, again, maxims that, that we are, they're good. They're all good. I don't disagree with a single one of those things, even though this is not in the Bible. But, you know, there's a lot of books that I read that are not in the Bible that have good things to say good advice in them. But these really do have something to do with walk humbly before your God. Almost all of those things do that. Don't think too highly of yourself. Walk humbly before your God. That That's probably the best summary that I can give you there. And, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, because all these things are based in the fear of the Lord. Look, don't get too big for your britches. Don't ridicule other people. Don't lie. Don't sin twice, all those kinds of things, because well, ultimately you have a judge. You have a God. And that's a uh, something that you should always, we should always keep in mind, is is that no matter what we think of ourselves, or not even no what even the world thinks of us at any given point in time, well, that can change in an instant. We are we are exalted or humbled by one person, not because of our own efforts, because he could block every single thing we try to do and keep us from being exalted in any shape, form, or fashion. 
So we need to always walk humbly before our God, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the epistle today, remember Jesus had sent the 72 out ahead of him. So he's, he and the 12 disciples are journeying towards Jerusalem. He sent the 72 out, two by two, ahead of him to proclaim the kingdom in word and deed in the cities that he was going to enter. They were heralds preparing the way. And we know that there's a large group of people with him along the way, and that group of people forms the people who greet him and acclaim him on Palm Sunday. And so there's this gathering crowd and a gathering expectation along the way. And they're going to see some amazing things as they go to Jerusalem, as they journey for this pilgrim festival. All these pilgrims are coming along the way. And then so these cities that he goes into, then they're going to join as well because they too will be pilgrims to Jerusalem to to keep the commandment to do that very thing. So the 72 went out, then they come back and they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And again, it's a reminder to walk humbly before your God. You know, all the things you might accomplish in this world, don't get caught up in those things is what he's saying. Don't get caught up in those things, but but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It, and we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's exactly right, that that whatever happens in this life it isn't random. God's in charge of all things, but you can be up one day and the next day you're down. So rejoice in the eternal thing, that your names are written in heaven. It's a wonderful thing. It's something to be excited about. It's something to, to talk about. It's something to rejoice with, with people about. But keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the eternal thing, the thing that's unshakable, and it is permanent because Jesus is our hope, and we know that he was raised from the dead, and we know then that he sits at the right hand of the Father, has from all eternity, will through all eternity. So we rejoice in that fixed thing. That is eternal. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In other words, these people, these 72 plus these 12, these all these who are around here, these people are nobodies in the eyes of the world. They're not, you know, the Pharisees, they're not on the Sanhedrin, they're not well-known in Jerusalem, they're not bowed down to in the marketplace, they're not, they're not seated at the top seats at the table and all that kind of stuff. And, and that, to me, is one of the most wonderful things about the kingdom of God. Some of the people that I have been so blessed to know serve alongside and to be, to be prayed for by them, to be praying with them and all that, are people the world would not even recognize, would think they were absolute nobodies, in some cases they might think they were crazy people, because they loved the Lord Jesus so much, and that was the only thing that mattered to them. They were focused and fixed on His glory in all their lives. And so when Jesus rejoices, He rejoices at what God's doing, that He's raised these up. These who seem like nobody in the eyes of the world are now lifted up and raised up in the kingdom in such a way that they are glorified greatly because of the Spirit of God operating through them. And again, I've seen it again and again and again. If you read the, the first book, sort of the prequel to the Chronicles of Narnia, the book called The Magician's Nephew, there's a cab driver and his wife that end up being glorified in the end. They become rulers in Narnia, but they're, they're in, in this world, they were just 
cab driver and his wife, you know, kind of clownish, cartoonish sort of figures. You see it again in The Great Divorce, another Lewis book, that that in heaven there's a woman who never had any children in this world, but she is greatly honored as mother to many in the kingdom of God. And so that that's the thing we need to be able to see with kingdom eyes. We need to see other people, brothers and sisters, with kingdom eyes, with the eyes that Jesus had here in this place. We need to 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 see things the right way rather than judging people and, and being obsequious before people who seem to be great in the eyes of the world. No, we need to celebrate the depth and the breadth of the people of God, and we need to to do so all the time. He says, all things are handed, have been handed to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. It's, it, it's an amazing thing to read something like that, to, to say that, that it's impossible to know who God is or to know who Jesus is without the revelation of the Holy Spirit being given to that person, and it's a choice God makes. And, and that's an inscrutable thing, by the way. It is not something that says, well, there's something so good in me that God chose me to reveal this to me. Uh-uh. No, you need a better picture of who you are. You need a better picture of the sinful human being that you really are. And, and if you don't think you are, well, then you have a problem with pride. I'll just go ahead and say that now. So w- that's the thing that, that we need to always rejoice in. It's because of God's love for us. So yes, our names are written in, the, in heaven, but not because of anything that we have done on our own. Even our faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, we can rejoice in that, but we rejoice in the gift of God that our names are written in heaven. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, so now he's only talking to the smaller group, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, and you did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and you didn't, and they didn't hear it. It's the same basic principle that he, that he says, that he uses when he says is that, that John is greater than all men born among women, but he is least in the kingdom of heaven, and that we will be greater than John. And it's because we've been born of the Spirit. And so when he says this, Jesus says, you're seeing right now, and you'll be witnesses to things right now, in this moment, in this hour, that, that are more than was given to the prophets and kings. That's how important you are in the kingdom of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you, whoever you are, whatever your name might be, you have seen things and will see things through the Spirit that even prophets— even kings long to see and weren't allowed to, but you are. That's how amazing it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In the uh, Revelation passage, now the judgment is going to come on the earth. Remember yesterday what we saw was sort of an interlude in heaven where those the, the winds, the four winds of the earth were held back, and there's a, there's a season of time when things are calm, dead calm. And now, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. That, it, that's a, an incredibly long time. If, if I stood in front of a congregation for half an hour and never said a word, it wouldn't just be uncomfortable. It, it would be brutal, absolutely brutal. And so in heaven... There is silence. Well, why is that? Because the judgments are about to come. And so it's not a time of rejoicing. 
It's a time of grieving. It's a time of pain to see the good creation that God pulled together, spoke into being, now is going to be destroyed. And so judgment's going to come on the earth, and the response to judgment is not rejoicing. I've told you this before about the angels the, in, the, in the Midrash. The, one of the stories in the Midrash would be that um, at the time that the Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the sea, the angels wanted to celebrate, but God said no. These were created in my image, and we do not celebrate the destruction of that. And so here, now, th- that fits perfectly well with what we, what we just saw, that there's silence in heaven because that seventh seal is the judgments that are going to be unleashed on the earth, on God's good creation. And so there's silence in heaven for half an hour. It's an amazing thought that I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, which is the thing that the, the coals from the altar would be in, and the incense would come up from there. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So then he takes this censer that has the, the coals in it and then puts much incense, it says, on, the, on there. And, and so what that represents is the prayers of the saints. And what are those prayers? What should our prayers be? Should we be praying for judgment of God on the earth? No, we should not. We should be praying for the coming of Christ— but that should be tinged with pain and suffering, and it should be tinged with concern for those that we know and that we love who are not in Christ Jesus, and that should inspire us then to make sure that they do. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And now some of this would be to deliver us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that means judgment, and we have to know that it means judgment, but but we're in such pain and grief over the fallen, fallen nature of mankind and of the earth that we do want his kingdom to come, but it's tinged with grief because we know that judgment is what's coming. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I mean, this all sounds like God coming down on Mount Sinai. That it sounds, it's, it's very much the same language. Now the seven angels who had this, so it's God coming to the earth. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And, and now take just a second and try and imagine what that looks like. A third of the earth is burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. If you've seen images of forest fires, you know what that looks like. You can conjure that image without any problem. But now extend that over the face of the earth. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And this is God's good creation, the thing he was so proud of, the thing that he said was very good when he had finished it. And why is it no longer very good? Because of me because of my sin. That's how important one sin is, much less all the sins that I commit. So I can look and say that it's the problem of all these other people, but the reality is my sin contributed to the need for God to destroy his own good creation. It's why it became an abomination in his sight. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So, yes, 
there's judgment, but it's it's limited. It's circumscribed to a third of everything. Why is that? Because he's giving people time to repent. He's giving them the option to see what's going on, come to a right conclusion and repent of their sins in order that they might be saved. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, which is bitter. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So again, God is bringing down judgment on the earth, but it's limited judgment. It's horrible. I mean, to lose a third of everything would be a horrible, horrible thing, but still there's hope for those who, who remain. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Now, it seems ridiculous at this point that everybody wouldn't turn to the Lord, but the reality is is that, that we have plagues and famines and all this other stuff on the earth all the time, and you know what doesn't happen? People don't return to the Lord. They, they blame something else. They say, well, it's, it's global warming, or it's global cooling, or it's this, or it's that. No, it's anything but what you say it is. It's anything, how dare you think that that's judgment on sin? How dare you say that? You're a hateful person who brings violence against other people. That's exactly the kind of rhetoric we're hearing today. So, no, no, there's not the possibility of walking humbly before God and, and doing this, because to walk humbly before God is to repent, It's to recognize who we are and who he is, and it's to see his action on the earth, but it begins with seeing his action in creating the earth, sustaining the earth, and now in the judgment of the earth. And people would would absolutely deny it. That No, I told you, it's because of, you know, whatever disaster I predicted that this happened. It's not the act of God. Heavens, no. God's not that kind of God. He's not judgmental. Come on, get over it. That's exactly what will happen. That's the reason everybody doesn't repent in the end, is they don't do it now when they have signs. Why would you think they would do it then, even these dramatic signs? Did the people of Egypt repent after the plagues? No, they did not. And so the people of Israel, did they repent when they saw signs in the heavens, signs on the earth? Did they turn to Jesus? Did they do that when Josephus tells us about the signs that were in the heavens at the time of the destruction of the temple. And did everybody turn to Jesus? No, the answer is no, they did not. And so we need to understand that people will not. There's a hard-heartedness, there's a stubbornness, there's a, 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 a hardening of the heart that we've, we've built ourselves up so strongly against God that we refuse to believe any of the signs. And then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. In, in other words, it's getting ready to get a whole lot worse. And that's being declared by an angel. But this all needs to end with we need to walk humbly before our God because the reality is he gave us his spirit. We're nothing without him. Our names are not written in the book of heaven unless he chose to write them there. And then we know Jesus simply because he gave us his spirit so that, that he would know him. Walk humbly before our God in that knowledge.